What is up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Combo's Court. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button. There has been some issues on the Apple Podcast app. The latest episode, the one before this, did not show up for some reason. I'm working diligently to correct that, but you could uh, find that on all the other platforms, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, wherever you listen to Combo's Court Episode 398 with Pierre. No idea why. Working on it, working on it, working on it. But um, welcome to this episode of Combo's Court, episode 399 to be exact. On today's show, Sixers lead writer for Philly Sports Network, founder of Pick Swap Media, and associate editor for Clutch Points, Sean Bernard joins in. We discuss Sixers basketball and much more. A fantastic conversation with Sean Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Luca, don't do it to him. Bernard, Sixers lead writer for the Philly Sports Network. He also works for Clutch Points. What are you doing, Clutch Points? Are you making those images? Because Clutch Points got the best images. Is that what you're doing? I, I do not. I, I'm all written work, <laughs> but the images are killer. This they turn out. But yeah, a lot of general NFL and NBA stuff for me over there. Okay, so you know, I use the images sometimes, but I always make sure to give Clutch Points credit. You know, because they always they come out quick. Like if somebody gets traded, Clutch Points is with it right away. Yeah, it's impressive the stuff the graphics guys can just turn those out so quickly. All the Photoshop, it's it is they got a whole system that they got down, so it's impressive stuff. Most definitely, Corkmaz. What happened to him, man? Is he all right? Yeah, crazy stuff there. Uh, it's he is all right. He played today. Uh, dropped fourteen points, I believe it was today. So he's back in action. Uh, but scary scene. Got in a little altercation and pretty much attacked by three of the Georgian players in the on the way to the locker room. So definitely crazy. Uh, big news in the FIBA world, the stuff that uh, Turkey's pretty fired up about. So I'm interested to see if anything comes about that. I really like his game. It's so cool to see a lot of these players like even more in their comfort zone than they are in the NBA. Like I was watching uh, Israel play a little bit and like Denny Avia. Like I didn't know if he could yeah. create off the dribble like that. You see um, other bigs, they're allowed to play in the post a little bit more, right? Like, it's yeah. just really cool to see a lot of these guys in their comfort zone. And and Luca looks like the best player in the world. I know people would argue that it's Giannis. I think it's Luca, But it's just great to see all these guys, like, in their element and playing ball. Yeah, definitely. And it's cool. A guy like Furkan, who in the NBA is a very rotational guy, a guy that gets his spurt minutes, to kind of be able to just play his free game and show what he can do is super cool. And, like, Shangun looks like like a phenomenal player right now. He's impressed a, a ton. So it's very cool, like, just the different style of basketball to see these guys playing and just kind of a cool opportunity to get, like, a different feel of what they really can do. Yeah, Shangun is such an interesting player. He's so talented as a passer and just his feel for the game is so elite. But he does gravitate towards the post. And in the modern NBA, it's going to be interesting what his role will be. I actually think there's probably some star potential there because of how talented he, he is. But it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of NBA player he'll become. Yeah, it's so crazy how much the dynamic has changed for a big man. Like uh, in another, uh, probably even a couple of years ago, like Shangun can pretty much play as he does right now. And I think it works completely fine. You have to be able to step outside and play some sort of perimeter game, regardless of your position nowadays. So 
it's just kind of crazy how quickly times change the qualifications for what you need to do change, but I'm confident that he will fit right in and find his lane. I like his game a lot. And uh, yeah, I think he can follow kind of the, the Jokic model for his game, make passing uh, something that's always a focal point in his game. And I do think the Rockets are building something cool there. So I'm excited to see how that all gels together. Yeah. He's a savant in the post and the passing is yeah. impressive as well. So, you know, maybe some teams will, uh bring the post work back slightly. It's never going to be how it used to be, but I think a lot of teams might start posting their guards a little bit more. It's going to be interesting to see how the NBA changes over the next couple of years. Cause the game is always evolving. Yeah, definitely. And we see like, whenever there's like a zig, there's always a zag. We saw the, the Pelicans a couple of years ago, tried to do the Anthony Davis and DeMarcus cousins to kind of go at it. So, and I mean, we see the, the Timberwolves right now going with the Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony towns pairing. So I don't know. There's always kind of uh, guys trying to go the opposite direction. I think somebody will, will give it a shot. Yeah, you mentioned DeMarcus. Um, he was in some Sixers rumors, right, at one point? He was, yeah. There were some connections to the backup center. Uh, it looks like things are settled today with the the signing of Montrez Harrell and yeah. that going down. So I, I personally, out of the two, would probably lean toward uh, DeMarcus Cousins being a little bit more of my favorite. But uh, the we're rolling with uh, with Harrell, so it is what it is. He definitely brings some toughness. I mean, he def he doesn't have the top end talent that Demarcus does, but with Demarcus injury history and obviously he's not exactly the same player he used to be. They're also familiar with um the rest of his Rockets teammates. It's almost like Rockets 2.0 a little bit. You got Daniel House, you got PJ Tucker, you got uh James Harden, and now you have Montrez. It feels like James has more of an impact on the roster moves than Joel has, right? yeah i think it's a mix of both but uh there definitely is and daryl Morey obviously i think is kind of picking the guys he's familiar with too so it all does kind of gel together i think Embiid's a, a guy that's fairly content with just like keeping his on-court role doing his thing not as much getting involved in personal uh decisions uh compared to other stars we have seen be fairly vocal in what they want uh tucker's a guy that Embiid did specifically mention by name uh following the postseason loss and they obviously went out and got him so i think that was probably a, a big thing that Embiid had circled and maury made a priority which obviously came through but they definitely are kind of building a rockets 2.0 but the thing that i keep bringing up when people criticize that is people like always throw a bunch of shade about the rockets like not advancing not making that the thing that's like forgotten all this is that rockets team did not have joel Embiid. so it's like building that same core, these same principles around like the an NBA elite big man and true like generational talent. I think there's uh, room for optimism there. Yeah. I mean, if you have Rockets 2.0 built around James Harden and you add in an MVP candidate, I mean, it doesn't sound too bad, right? Yeah, exactly. That's the way I, I'm trying to look at it is I feel like that gets lost in the shuffle is like, yes, the Rockets didn't achieve their championship goals, but they still gave the Warriors a run for their money. Uh, like, few teams could at that time they went pretty far and had some really successful seasons and to kind of add that on top of Embiid who this is still Joel Embiid's team even with James Harden even with the additions and like I, I have optimism for where this team can go James is such a unique character in the sense that like he's a socialite like he likes to be outside he obviously brings all these players to play with them like he likes to connect with other players but with the media he doesn't really say anything <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he's an interesting cat for sure. And we see all the, the flamboyant outfits and stuff he wears out and always around doing things. So I think he's been a nice guy to to add into the Sixers core. Uh, from what every, everybody seems, it's, it's been all positive so far in his relationships with everybody and who he's been. So I'm excited. It's been good so far. Nah, people within the NBA always speak very highly of James Harden when they yeah. play with him. If you just listen to like his media conversations, it just is like it's bland. Like there's yeah. nothing to take from it. But then on the other end, like he's so social, it seems like that's why like it just doesn't connect for me for some reason. It's just weird. 
Yeah, it is strange. There's been a, a, a couple of clips of him and Embiid joking around, which are fun to watch. But in general, he is just kind of stick to, sticks to his script, says his thing, and uh, isn't one for sound bites for the most part. So Ben Simmons, mm -hmm. every time around uh, summer summertime, we hear about his uh, jump shot. Was that a real quote saying he, he now says he's a dangerous shooter? I hope not. That has to be <laughs> fake. I'm I'm very grateful to be over the, the Ben Simmons cycle of talking ourselves into we hope he can do this. We hope he can add it. And it, it never truly has happened. So it, it was definitely time for him to move on from Philly. It was time for Philly to move on from him. So uh, I'm I'm thrilled that like we're no longer having that same discussion on the Sixers end of what this guy can be or what his potential because we've kind of seen the same cycle with it. It's a, it's an ongoing that time of year. We will see the hype videos and then it never actually translates to the on-court success. I mean, I'm actually higher on Ben Simmons than most because I <laughs> think the memification of America, social media, everything that goes around that, like you ask some people about Ben Simmons and they don't talk about him like he's a former all NBA player. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he's like a poor player by any means. I'll say he was not at all what the Sixers were asking him to be. He's never going to be a guy that's like a create his own shot, be a true star. But what he is, is still a very high IQ basketball player, a guy that does a ton of the little things and can contribute to winning basketball. I do believe that. I think with the Nets, he's in a, a very good role for him. I think with having Katie and Kyrie as guys that are obviously very shot first and him being able to play make off that set screens, I think him kind of sliding into a Draymond Green type of role is something that would be the best thing for his career arc. What do you see him doing this year? Like, what are you expecting for Ben Simmons? I know you're more focused on the Sixers side of things, but from a net standpoint, what should they expect from Ben this season? I mean, step one is get him on the court is the first thing. Let's get him out, out there and playing. Uh, I think there's an aspect of him needing to just rip the Band-Aid off and, and go do it. Like, as much as there's been so much talk and conversation about the mental issues and everything, like, I think there is an aspect of him struggling to get back out there. So I think that's step one is just get him on the court and playing basketball again, which should be what he enjoys to do, should be what he's good at and something he is good at. So I think that's step one. There's been some chatter about him playing center. That's something the Sixers always talked about and never re were really able to kind of put into play. Uh, he's such a ball dominant player that it's hard. Like it's, it's a difficult balance if he doesn't have the shooting ability, but is so ball dominant, which I think is one of the disconnects and where the weaknesses in his game fall. Uh, I would love to do, a, if I was the Nets, I would love to do a whole bunch of him as the screener instead of the ball handler and, and using him. He, he's a guy that can catch lobs, do that kind of thing. You're kind of like wasting him to an extent because he is capable of way more as a passer and stuff like that. But I think you can do some real dynamic things, which is pairing up a two-man game with him and Kyrie or him and KD. I mean, it would have been tough to play him at the five with Joel there, right? Like they probably would have had to stagger their minutes. Yeah, yeah. That was always kind of backup center has been like the the major hole around the Sixers throughout the Joel Embiid tenure. So there was always the thought process of like in the non-Embiid minutes to shift and play small ball, have Simmons at the five. It never really fully worked or really got a true chance to see if it could work because he is a guy that like, and and defensive wise, like sure he can play the five and paint protect a little bit, but he's at his best on the perimeter and at his best like, kind of swallowing up smaller guys on the defensive end. So that was always a little bit of a, a disconnect there too that didn't quite work. I think the Nets have a, a clear option to make it happen. And with KD too, because KD's another guy who's uh, around that seven foot range and still can like step down and protect the paint a little bit if he needs to. So more flexibility, I would say, than the Sixers roster had. I always put Anthony Davis, James Harden, Luka Doncic in the same category. Not that they're similar players, not that they're even in the same stage of their career, but it makes a tremendous difference when they come into the season in shape. Mm -hmm. um, 
James Harden, what have you seen from him in the offseason? It's always, I mean, you work with clutch points, so we don't never know what's Photoshop. We never know what's going on. We never, like a lot of these guys, like they'll fluctuate weight. One day they'll look big. Zion's one of those guys as well. What have you seen from him lately from the workout videos? Obviously, he looked really good in the Rico Hines run. Does it seem like he's going to come back in elite shape? Yeah, I, I, that's what all indications are. Uh, James Harden, he's been very good about just there's been a lot of league content of him working out, doing everything right. He's he's just kind of checking all the boxes, showing like that he intends to win, intends to compete, come back as his best self. There's things that he can do to extend his career, even if he doesn't have that same kind of burst and ability that he has. Like if he's a guy that can add back the mid range to his game, which is kind of the anti Mori ball and something that he's got away from a lot. But if he can add back the mid range, come more comfortable off the catch and shoot, those types of opportunities are there for him and ones that he can uh, capitalize. And uh, he's been working out with shout out. Chuck Ellis has done some work with him. who's a pretty notable NBA trainer, a Philly guy. I've uh, been around the area. I think with James Harden, like we've seen in the past, he's a guy when he's locked in, like he clear and intends to win. Like he plays at a high level. And when he doesn't care and locked out, as was the case with the Nets for the beginning of last season, he totally checks out, doesn't do his thing. So I think when he got traded to the Sixers last year, he had that moment of like the switch flipping and him being back locked in, but he let his body kind of go to the point where he, he couldn't quite do it. Like he used to and has been able to in his past. So I think with a full off season to have his best intentions, work hard. Like, I think we're going to get a little bit of a different version of James Harden next year. The mid-range thing is interesting because James was actually shooting a lot of them or a lot more of them earlier in his career. And also, the NBA has adapted to the three-point revolution. So yeah. the mid-range is more open than it ever has been before. And I think that's why part of the reason why DeMar DeRozan was so dominant in the first half of last season, because that's just the area on the court that's, you know, available and open at this point. Yeah, and everything about the analytics screams like the importance of three-point shot. But when you actually like sit there and watch an NBA game, especially in crunch time, it's like the mid-range is a lot of times like the shots that you have available available for you and the shots that you can get off. And with Mori, Daryl Morey was obviously at one of the forefronts of like the analytical push with James Harden first stint in Houston. So I think this kind of got taken away of his game is that they push that like at the rim or at the three-point line. What are the shots that the, the Rockets really push for? That was what they were all about. But like kind of at this stage of his career and and kind of like where the NBA sh it has shifted to, like you got to take what you can get to some extent. If that's the shot, like that's the shot. Uh, Joel Embiid's a guy who's capitalized on it. His little face-up mid-range is one of his best shots. He shoots it at above a 60% clip, which if you're looking at the, the points per possession, like that's an efficient shot. That's what you want. And if you can hit at that rate, that's that's perfect. So I would like to see some of the same from James Harden. He's shown a lot of it in his workout videos. Uh, so I don't know. I, I've got a little bit of a scarring from the workout videos to it translating from the Ben Simmons day. So I'd like to see it in an actual game, but that's definitely an area of his game that I would like to see this year. Yeah. I've talked about this with Seth part now before, like the mid range game never disappeared. It's just that from role players, it's not as prominent anymore, but the league's best players still need it. As you kind of just talked about, like Kawhi has it, Kevin Durant has it, Steph Curry has it. All these players need to have it because in drop coverage, that's where you could kill your opponent. Yeah. And it is interesting. It's kind of become like the superstar shot. Like it's like, that's yes. like you have to be, have like the right to take a mid range, which is kind of crazy. And uh, there's obviously so many floor spacers and rotational guys that are there to just kind of sit at the three point line, command respect. And if you don't get it, uh, throw up a three pointer, but to be able to like, you still got to be able to do it all if you're an NBA player. So I, I think there will be a little bit of a mid range revolution coming soon. Yeah, you're right. I mean, everything always comes full circle. And also positionally, it seems 
interesting to me how many teams are taking different approaches like we even see the magic with two point forward type players we see the Cavs now with two dynamic guards and two dynamic bigs but maybe not an elite wing we mm-hmm. see the Timberwolves with the twin towers so yeah in some ways it's a small ball error but it seems like it's going in all different directions at this point yeah positions are almost out the window at this point and kind of just like you you take your best five and you find a way to make it work on the court and that's what we're seeing and we're seeing teams like look at that from different uh, directions. Like like you mentioned with the, the Twin Towers in, in Minnesota, a bunch of just different team building uh, ways of going about it, which I think is a good thing. I think that's good for the NBA to be pushing those boundaries, seeing what works. And uh, at the end of the day, like the, the best five should play. So I think it's cool that guys aren't being like strictly labeled in the spot and that teams are being more flexible with it. Do you feel the Mitchell trade changes the landscape of the East in any way? I've talked about this on my last pod saying that, I mean, I still think the Heat are better. Obviously, the Bucks and the Celtics are better, I would say, on paper and in just reality that the Sixers are better. But do you think things have changed from that big roster move that they made? Yeah, I, I think it was a great move for the Cavs. I, I love that it puts them in like a win-now focus. Uh, I, the East is deep. I think this is the East, the the deepest the East has been in 20 plus years. And just like the top six, I think you can kind of jumble up, up just about every order. I do have the agree. I would have the Celtics and Bucks a little bit notch above the rest of the, the grouping. Uh, but I, I I love what the Cavs are doing and far going for a win now. And there was so much noise about like Donovan Mitchell going to the Knicks. One of my reasons against that is like I was scared of the backcourt pairing of Brunson and Donovan Mitchell from a defensive standpoint. Uh, when I look at it with the Cavs, I'm cool with it with Garland and Mitchell because of the way that they use Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. And Mobley specifically, I think, has a chance to go down as like a generational defensive uh, player, just the, the how versatile he is on the perimeter, the way he protects the rim. I think that they have a very cool setup for like those guys being the true like defensive anchors and they still like have value on offense as well. So I like what the Cavs are doing. I also think like they missed a little bit of shot creation in crunch time. There was a lot, a, a lot of responsibility for Garland last year. And I think like while he can do it and he's still a terrific player, I think there's a little bit of a pass first nature in his game. So I think having Mitchell as a guy to like give shots to is something that will work out well in the long run. Yeah, they definitely have two elite bigs when it comes to defense. And not to mention, like, you're never going to stop the league's best wings. But Okoro, you know, his strength is defense. So maybe he could help clean up some of that as well when, like, they have to guard a Jalen Brown type player or a Jason Tatum type player. It's going to be tough guarding both of them if, uh, you know, if they do meet with them in the playoffs. But he fits them pretty well. Just hopefully he could learn how to shoot the basketball a little better and it would be really dynamic. Yeah, definitely. And I I also think it's helpful for a guy like Okoro that you just give a role to that. You're saying like, you're here to play defense and hit a corner three. So that's what we need you to do for a guy like just simplifying things. Like I think he, they they're still figuring out exactly what he is as a player. There's been a little bit of ups and downs and it's still very early in his career, but I think that's a good trajectory for him to just simplify it, get really good at these things. And if you do, there's a place for you in the NBA for a long time. You know who would be very elite if they get a jump shot? Who's that? Dybul. Yeah, yeah. That's another one that we've been, uh, as Sixers fans, saying forever. And we don't, um, want, we don't want to see the two-ball dribbling uh, viral yeah. videos. We want to see you shooting, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of noise about that. Uh, I personally am, am not kind of – I've kind of – my my hope for Matisse has diminished a little bit. And Oh, I'm, really? 
Yeah, I mean, he played five more minutes per game last season and shot less three pointers per game. And and like you can see him kind of passing on open threes, which is to me, that's the biggest red flag. It's just like the confidence is not there. And he, he does such special things on the defense end. Like it is kind of ridiculous. Some of the, the highlights that he makes, the block shots. But I just like am lo- I'm losing confidence in him being able to just become a legitimate NBA average three point shooter. If he doesn't, what do you think his career could look like? If his shooting stays the same. I think there's always going to be a, a role for him just because he's that special of a defender. Uh, yeah. I I think he he's kind of, to me, best off as like a reverse six man in the way that like if a guy on the opposing team gets it going, you just throw Matisse out there and be like, just run around and follow him. Like, I think that's kind of his best role. We've seen it with Steph Curry. Like he did a phenomenal job on him last year. But I think as far as a guy you're counting on for like every night minutes is not like, like I think he's a, you throw him as like a changeup is better than like him having like a, a full role. Yeah, he might struggle to get minutes this year if Daniel House and PJ Tucker are playing really well because they're not quite the defender that Tybal is, but they're really good defenders and they could shoot it when they're on. Yeah, and I honestly think it's still pretty likely that he gets traded before the start of the season. I I think especially considering the the Harold deal, they now have seventeen rostered players for fifteen roster spots. Uh, I I don't think they're just going to swallow two contracts. Uh, they got a couple of non guarantees that could cut Charles Bassey, cut Trevlin Queen to get it down. But I, I think that it's more likely that they package a Matisse Thibel, Furkan, and whatever kind of scraps to get one more rotation piece and even everything out. Are there any team needs at this point? like a position that the team is lacking in your opinion? Um, This I'll say this is the most complete that I've seen this roster. Uh, The backup center was a question mark, but was answered with, uh, with Harold Uh, wing was the biggest thing to me going into this off season. They, they, I wouldn't say they have like a true wing, but they have enough of like pieces that work with the PJ Tuckers, the Tobias Harris, the Daniel house. If there is one thing I would prefer, like I I would say another wing, a guy that's just like a true three and D guy that has a little bit of self-creation, uh, some maybe even like a Ben McLemore type of player that like he's still sitting out there as a free agent, but I, I don't see them spending for another guy. But that type of just three and D role with a little bit of self-creation would be awesome to me. Yeah. Um. Where do you have you didn't even talk about this yet. Where do you have the Sixers ranking in the East as of right now? Just on paper, we obviously see haven't seen the teams play yet, but where would you rank them among the East's best? I have them third. I have them below the the Celtics and Bucks, and then I have the Sixers after that. The Nets obviously going to be in the mix too, but to me, it's such a question mark. Uh, I I think the Sixers team is being undersold a little bit. Uh, anyone at the top of the East right now, I think, is legitimate contenders. Like I would consider the the top four all guys that have a chance at a, a title. So uh, I'll put the Sixers at three, though. I'm not surprised if the Sixers win a title this year. But what would be the concerns or the biggest concerns for this team? I mean, we, James Harden seems to be in better shape. Joel Embiid is coming off, and he didn't win MVP, but an MVP-level season. The roster fit seems better. Tobias was – he was getting more into a role that's conducive to playing with James and Joel towards the end of the year. Like, everything seems like it's coming together nicely. Like, what's the biggest concern for the team? Uh, I mean, the number one thing would be health is just Embiid as much as he's been actually very healthy for the past couple of years, even though kind of the reputation still lingers. There's still always that concern because he just has the tendency to to go all out at times. Maybe he shouldn't and try and block a shot or maybe he shouldn't dive into the crowd, that kind of stuff. So an injury to Embiid would is the first concern for derailing. And to me, the other two like real questions are first off, like what exactly James Harden is if he does have a little bit of burst left if he can be that like number two star that we're looking for and the second thing is just like how much better Tyrese Maxey can get I think that trio of Embiid 
Harden and Maxi is more or less going to make it if it is like a championship ceiling team. I think that they answered the the question with the role players. They got a ton of guys that they can plug and play and I think fit well, but it's just if those three are, are ready for it this year. How would you rank Maxi, Pool, and Hero? Maxi, exactly how you said I'm one Maxi, two Pool, and three Hero. I think that's about right. I feel like Pool and Hero will always be six men. I could mm-hmm. be wrong. It just kind of fits their role because they don't set the table and they don't play defense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Tyrese doesn't really set the table, but I feel like he is a better defender than those two, right? Yeah. I mean, he's small, but he tries. He he works hard on defense. He fights through screen and he's gotten better in his time here. That was like the red flag of him coming into the NBA. Well, his shooting, which he answered and was third in the NBA in three point percentage last year and his defense. And he's only six one, six two, So that's always going to just be a little bit of a matchup issue. But he does try defensively and does some things. So to me, it's workable. It, if that's the hardest way to make the league, the way those guys play to be like a bucket getter and play in the NBA and be really good in the NBA. I don't think people realize how tough that is. Like if you're six, eight slide your feet and hit threes, you just don't have to be as good because there's so many spots for you. But if you're like a smaller guy that could just get straight buckets and doesn't do a lot of anything else, the league is the league. It's the best players in the world. So no matter what position you play, it's tough, but it's even tougher for those kind of guys. Yeah, no, that's totally true. It's like, you have to kind of play to your role unless you're one of those, the top, top, top of the guys. Exactly. So, there's there's really not that much of a role unless for like that style of player unless you kind of can do something special and, and fit it in so it's difficult if you're not, not kind of one of the elite tiers and can't do anything else sean great stuff you're always welcome back where can we find you where can we find your work yeah you guys can uh, follow me on twitter at sean underscore bernard one you can check out my written work on uh, philly sports network and clutch points and uh, check out my own podcast as well pick spot podcast you can check that out on youtube uh, we got PickSwap Media that I run, which we got a, a couple different podcasts with uh, some NBA stuff, NFL stuff, Phillies, Eagles, and uh, just about everything else. So, yeah, feel free to tap in. So you are building a network, my friend, aren't you? Yeah, getting there. Slowly but surely. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, nice. That is awesome. That is awesome. You're always welcome back on the show. Thanks for taking the time. Talk soon. Yeah, I appreciate you for having me. It was a good time. There it is, another episode of Combo's Court. Thank you to everyone who tunes into the show across the globe. Thanks to Sean for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button. Check out the Combo's Court Patreon page if you would like to support this podcast. I'll leave a link in the description for that. Be on the lookout for episode 400 of Combo's Court. Combo, out.